Welcome to the Art of Outreach. I'm Mike Mitchell, the Director of Community Outreach for the Tennessee Art Education Association. I'm also the Art Director of Mount Pleasant Schools here in historically rural Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Super excited today to have um, Christopher Taylor, who is uh, the elementary school art teacher, one of two elementary school art teachers at Richland Elementary School and Shelby County Public Schools where he serves about 400 kids K through five um, on a weekly basis um, during a traditional school year. And we'll talk a little bit more about how this year is likely not going to be traditional um, with Christopher. Christopher, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Sure. Well, in our pre-interview, you said a lot of things that I just can't wait to dive into. So let's start with why art education and then I'm excited because um, you said you had an interesting journey to becoming an art educator. Yeah, I never really thought of myself as being a teacher. I started out as an assistant teacher with special needs children. And when doing that, I ended up getting my business degree because I was going to get out of education completely. Um, I think the universe has a way of just pulling you back into, into where you need to be. And so in transitioning from special education to the STEP program, which is kids with behaviors. Um, I ended up at another school because I ended up at the school called E. Jeter um, when the school systems merged. And at this school, that's very, very, very beginning of the school year, the art teacher quit. And it was interesting because I was having financial problems. I was really panicking. Um, and just kind of out of the blue, we asked the principal if I could apply for the job. And she asked me if I had art credits in my background, and I had enough hours, had enough, you know, and I'm not going to get the job, <laughs> you know, and eventually I interviewed, the interview was horrible, and paperwork starts flying around, and basically they said I'm, that I am hired, like in a few weeks later, they, they tell me I'm hired. It was nerve-wracking, you know, because I didn't, I had no experience teaching at all. I had experience as an assistant teacher, but I think assistants more, we just kind of support the teachers. I was never in a lead role. So becoming an art teacher was a little bit overwhelming, but at the same time, I wanted to challenge because I loved art. I loved doing art anyway. And initially I thought that art, teaching art was just sitting in front of kids and showing them how to draw. Um, over time, I learned that it was so much more than that, you know, so, I kind of grew into the teacher that I want to be by attending different workshops, talking to other teachers, you know, really figuring out what this whole thing was about. And it changed the way I look at art, it changed the way I look at art education. Um, I guess before I kind of thought of art like every other teacher does. I mean, not every other teacher, but most teachers see art as kind of a break, you know, it's kind of a playtime for kids. Um, it changed my perspective because I'm like, now I'm in it. And it's more than just playtime, we're learning. You know, we're actually learning not just what they're learning in their other classes. They're learning how to draw, they're learning how to get the emotions out. Um, it's just becoming a, a whole, you know, it's developing this whole person. You know, so it's not just, I'm not just teaching them math and science and social studies. I'm teaching them all of that. But then we're also learning about life as well. So I tell my students, I don't just teach you art, I teach you life, you know. so. These are things you can take into the world and you can 
you, you can use, you know? So I know sometimes you learn math skills that you're like, when, when will I ever use this in life? I'm like, everything I teach in this classroom is going to pertain to your life at some point. So um, I try to make the most of my, um, my experiences. And my first year teaching art, I was so close to quitting <laughs> because I taught in middle school. And I'm in a rough time. And it was just, you know, it, it was just bad. And I ended up um, forming a bond with these kids. It took me from, I was hired in November. And by the time April rolled around, these kids were actually doing work for me. And that was the best thing in my entire, you know, teaching experience, to have these kids go from just rebellious to actually wanting to learn. And that's how I got here. You know, and it's, I've been doing it ever since and just kind of growing and not settling for being an average art teacher. I want to be the best art teacher or close to it. So That's amazing. Um, I think you, your phone dropped out just for a, just for a second. When you're, when that first principal asked what your, your art, your art credits were, where did you have art credits from? I had it from the University of Memphis, Adam State College. Um, and you and were, it was just those two schools. And you were there, um, like, getting a, a, a BFA or a BA or just you were getting your bachelor's in art? I was getting my bachelor's in, it was actually art. I took a lot of art courses. Okay. But I ended up getting my bachelor's in history. Okay. And I was really art heavy. Um, and at that point, I just had no idea. Like, you're, I was really young going to college, had no idea what I wanted to be, and just... Um, when she told me that I could graduate with history, I just went with that. And talking to my rugby teammates, they said, well, you can get a job as a lawyer or you can go to back to school and get certified to teach history. And I was just determined not to be a teacher. <laughs> you know, and so it's kind of funny that I'm here now I'm teaching art. <laughs> I love that you have an art heavy history degree. I feel like that should, I feel like that should be on your, like on your certification somewhere. Like, I just love that yes. term is like, I, I have an art heavy degree. Um, and I think that really, for me, that, that really fits your ethos in your classroom, right? With your, with your kids is like, whatever they end up being interested in, if they've been through Mr. Taylor's class, they have an art heavy perspective on life, right? Like they're, yes. they're going to be able to be a, doctor with an art heavy lens they're going to be able to be um, own their own lawn care business with an art heavy lens they're going to be able to be a nurse practitioner they're going to be able to be an architect they're going to be able to be a stay-at-home dad like whatever they're going to get to do in the world you know like they're going to do it art heavy and i love that yes. i love that idea of of, of just I'm gonna start using that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna always reference you and say, hey, I learned this from Christopher Taylor. But like this, we're gonna, we're we're gonna go art heavy on this particular thing. Um, that's really really interesting. Um, so from that middle school, you then moved to an elementary school. Is that right? Well, so I was itinerant at the middle school. So I, I started out as, a, as an elementary. I see. But also traveled to the middle school. I see. And I see. So I was, yeah, it was and it was it was tough. <laughs> it was a tough position to be put in. Yeah, middle school is it's a, it's its own thing. I mean, I've taught some middle school um, camps and uh, now work in a middle school um, as an art director. So I'm in and out of classrooms working with teachers. But but it is it is um, it's not exactly that. Just like high school is not the same, elementary is not the same. It it's the it is a very 
It's a very interesting world, and in talking with middle school art teachers, um, and I think part of it, that I, the way I understand it, is you, you talked about it, and I'm excited you're going to talk even a little bit more about it from what we talked about in our pre-interviews, you know, giving students the ability to, to get their emotions out. I think middle school is such a um, tough and exciting and overwhelming time for kids as they go through puberty and those emotions come really fast and really intense. And I think that that can be part of it as well, is why yes. it, can, it can be such a, if you, if that, if you're not a roll up your sleeves and, and want to talk about emotions and want to deal with all of that. Like if that's not your thing and it's no judgment, if it's no one's thing, middle school is going to be rough for you. Whereas, um, you know, in high school, my experience has been, you know, students are starting to feel a little bit more comfortable in their skin, a little bit more, you know, confident. And it's just a, it's just kind of a different beast, um, as far as like, um, you know, classroom management from that standpoint. You said that I became the teacher I wanted to be through training and through yes. going to different things. Um, you're a member of the Tennessee Art Education Association. Can you talk a, a little bit about how, um, how becoming a teacher you wanted to be happened um, during some of those trainings or what, is it, what does it mean for you to be a member of the Tennessee Art Education Association? I feel like they're the ones that really kind of helped me out, especially my second year teaching. Um, we had just kind of gotten into the whole gist of, I guess, the Tennessee Arts being a really big deal. And I think it's my third year that I actually got really involved in it because my second year I was just kind of like still feeling my way through it. But I was also network and more with other teachers and they're kind of telling me about this organization that I need to be a part of. Um, my third year, I really started taking advantage of what they offered and we got free workshops. We, I mean, just everything they paid for the Tennessee arts Academy. They paid for the Tennessee, um, West, I believe it was the Western conference. And I mean, just all those things were paid for and I took advantage of every single one of them and just the amount of things they teach you, they teach you like how to, you know, classroom management, arts integration, um, how to collaborate with the teachers, how to incorporate theater into the art classes, um, how to get kids moving, how to keep from how to keep art from being boring, how to get the kids that don't like art, how to get how to reach out to them and maybe get them engaged into what you're teaching. And so those different strategies that I learned from all those workshops it really helped me grow as a teacher. And it helped me to also mentor other teachers, like new, new teachers that come in. When they asked me for advice, I felt like I was ready to give it back to them. And I would tell them, hey, sign up at the Orpheum, because they have these workshops that we can attend. And they're gonna teach you about classroom management, arts integration. I mean, it's gonna look, it's gonna look good for your evaluation, it's gonna look good to your principal, the parents are gonna love you, you know, it's gonna make you look amazing, you know, and, all you're doing is kind of repeating what you've been taught. You're just kind of like, I guess, spitting out what you've learned. And I'm like, this is where I'm at now, where I'm just kind of I'm absorbing all this information, and then I'm just kind of like letting it go, you know, to the kids and just showing my, my staff and my school what I'm learning. And every year I come up with something new, and they're kind of like, man, that's really cool where you learned that. 
And I'm like, oh, I went to the to Nashville this you know in July and they had this conference and you know picked this up and decided to try it here. And so I think learning new things and I, I really like doing it because it teaches me to not I don't like repeating assignments. So doing all these different things it, it helps me develop new curriculums, new information to give out to the kids and. You know, I, I'm a life learner, so I, I want to learn. Like, I want to learn as much as I can. And the day I think I know everything is the day I need to just stop. <laughs> you know, I need to retire to that, at that point. But I definitely try to grow not only as a teacher, but as an artist. And I really want to, you know, I feel like the TAA, it really helps me to just branch out, and it helps me be a better teacher for the, for the students. Which is my biggest fear. My biggest fear is to like being just a, a bad art teacher, and so to avoid that, you know, I take advantage of everything that they give me. In addition to the magazines I receive, so. Yeah, those magazines are great, right? So if you yes. if you join, um, I think if you pay a little bit more, it gives you that. Um, you get the magazines that that come out of the NAEA, right? I think that's where those are the. Um, those have been, those were a revelation to me when I started getting those and it's just like, wow, like they are so good. Um, so many great ideas. Um, you said something and I will definitely put it in the notes of, uh, our interview. You said the day I think I know everything is the day that I need to retire. Did you have teachers that knew everything when you were a kid? Like those teachers did you when have... I was younger, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. When I was younger, um, my teachers were kind of, they didn't act like they knew everything, but they didn't really, I feel like they didn't take me into consideration. So I was just another face in the classroom, and they kind of taught to, they just kind of taught one way. Um, the way that I teach, I try to teach my visual learners, my sensory learners, my audio learners. Um, I try to teach all different learning styles at once so that everybody can understand. Um, I was a visual learner as a student, and I was terrible, you know, because I started out in kindergarten as this kid who could read really good, but I couldn't comprehend anything. Mm -hmm. And so I went from the high reading group to the low reading group, and of course that does something to your psyche, you know, because you're like, man, I'm way up here, now I'm down here, what's going on? Mm -hmm. um, teachers never caught on to what was going on. And I think if I had, what I was, what kids experience now, where we, we can identify the learning style and can teach to it. I believe if I had that as a kid, it would help me out, you know, a lot more than, because um, I really struggled all the way from elementary into high school. And, you know, that's kind of how I got into the arts was because I got depressed and art kind of became my release to, I guess, to my therapy to deal with my depression. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was different back then because teachers, I don't want to say that, that they felt like they knew everything, but I believe that they felt like there's one way to teach and this is it. Well, I love the, um, I love the weight that you've put on yourself to say like, these are my expectations of me, not what my kids think of me, but like what I think of me is that I'm scared of being a bad art teacher. So I'm going to go to PDs, I'm going to listen to people, I'm going to collaborate with people, I'm going to learn new things, I'm not going to repeat assignments that, or at least I'm not going to do the assignment the exact same way, I'm going to modify things to learners. I love that you're saying, 
Um, and I think that's a, I think that can be a bit of a generational shift is your classroom can run the way your classroom is going to run based off of what Christopher can do in that classroom. And when those kids come into the classroom, you are the main thing that can create the weather, right? Yes. And you can, you can, you can create, you know, you can control so much of that stuff because you've decided that, Hey, I have the thing the control. Right. And I think so many times teachers become meteorologists, right. And they just yes. start talking about the weather that the kids create in the classroom. And that's two different things, right? Like yes. you need to be the movement that's coming up from Texas. That's bringing sunshine to Tennessee. You need to bring the, you know, if you need to bring a storm because you want to have the kids experience a certain exciting and just like, we're going to be wild today and moving around like that needs to be because you decide to do it. Right. And then you can Absolutely. always bring it back down because you are the teacher and you are the one that can set the weather in that classroom. And I think that an, uh, uh, there, there are people that you and I both went to school with and they were meteorologists, right? They allowed us to be the weather. They allowed us to be gloomy or us to be lazy or us to be, you know, and they, because they did not want to, you know, they did not, or knew how, right? Like they, you know, maybe they didn't have that PD, but you know, you, you talked about like finding out like early, like who are these learners? How do you, how do you do that in an art classroom? Like, how do you find out who your kinesthetic learners are, who your audio learners are? How do you, how do you go about doing that? If, if you um, don't have the luxury of another teacher collaborating kind of letting you know um, and sharing that information usually I'm just an observer and I just kind of watch that first day of who's doing what um, that first day just kind of getting get to know us period like everybody's just learning about each other and I walk around the classroom I kind of look at what everybody's drawing what everybody's doing and I can see what level they're at um, I can give a direction just in the middle of their drawing I can give out a direction and see who picks it up and who doesn't um, I can see who's fidgety. You know, I'm like, do you need to stand up? Yes, sir, I know. I need to stand up for a second. All right, so you can stand up and draw. You can even lay on the floor and draw if you want to. Um, you have freedom to move around this classroom, you know, so it's going to be up to you. Um, I know that's going to be the child that I need to really keep moving, you know, and really keep them interested. Um, my my artists, the ones that just come in, they're my naturals, I guess I call them. Um, if I give them an assignment to just draw something, they just immediately go. You know, they're just on it, and they're quiet, they're focused. My audio learners are waiting. They're waiting for me to say something. And if I say nothing at all, they just sit there the whole time. And then, you know, then the class are like, well, you didn't tell us to do anything. So I know who my students are just by kind of, I guess they're kind of like guinea pigs in a sense, but not really, because <laughs> they're, they're, they're all, my, I call them my children, you know, because I guess you don't spend, you know, that much time with, it, with the child and, they don't become a part of it. But, um, you know, I, I try to, I guess, listen and watch and really see what their needs are. Well, it sounds like a, a, in a lot of ways you're doing kind of a physiological assessment that first day is you are, you are being aware of what those, what the body language and visual language and your own audio language of, you know, of what those kids, how they're experiencing that room. And, you know, it sounds like that first classroom, you're just allowing them to 
be themselves and then be aware of who they are and then like, okay, how can I help them be themselves all the time in my room? You know, this kid's going to yes. need, this kid's going to need to be up and about. This kid's going to need to be in the quietest spot in the room. This kid's going to need to, you know, I think that's really such a powerful um, thing is that even in our art classroom, um, you know, it was really impactful to me. Um, I, my classroom, when I had a day-to-day -day classroom was always pretty visually chaotic. You know, I would had lots of found object sculpture stuff going on. I had lots and lots of, and if the room got a little messy, it never bothered me, but that's just because it doesn't bother me. And then I realized that I serve kids who, um, have personalities where if things are not lined up in order at right angles, um, if there are, you know, that they just, I understood that uh, a lot of my kids, maybe who were, um, uh, you know, somewhere on the autism spectrum that my class made them, could make them feel uncomfortable because of, of just uh, in any number of things, like how just because it was an art classroom didn't mean that it was okay in relationship to their other stuffy classroom, right? Like I also then had to figure out. And so it took me a while and I would say to kids like, hey, does this room really bug you? And they'd be like, oh my God, I just want to clean it up. And I'd be like, well, you know, you can if you want. Really? I can? And they'd be like, I, I just want to straighten up that corner over there. It just bugs me. And I'm like, do it. You know, like that's, that's really fine too. And so um, I love that you're doing that as well. It's like kind of going through that process of really saying, you have choice to lay down, move around, and if that's not seen as a sign of disrespect, you're understanding like that kid just needs to lay down, right? They need to yes. stretch out, and they might need to lay down, stand up, sit down, lay down, stand up, sit down, all inside of like the next 60 <laughs> seconds, yeah. like that yeah. they're, you know, and um, and figuring all that stuff out. Um, let's uh, kind of transition a little bit to um, your art practice. You said that art helped you when it when you were a kid that it became therapeutic for you to deal specifically with you feeling depressed um, so talk some about your art practice now and how that has evolved as you've become an adult I think now is more I try to stay in tune with the world um, everything is drawn from my perspective but it can also be applied to others perspectives so I'm not sure if you had a chance to go to Art Major and kind of but I had um, one piece where I was walking with my hood on and I had, I'm kind of stuck out of the canvas, like literally. I made this leg and this, I remade my shoe to come out of the canvas. And um, that piece, and then I had like two people. Um, one was kind of at the side, he's looking back, and then there's a, a lady who's kind of on the other side, and she kind of has this look on her face like she's stopped and she's holding her purse. And to me, it's just kind of like what I live, you know. Um, people will look at that and they're like, oh, here we go with this narrative again. And I'm like, but I want you to look deeper into it, you know, because this can actually apply to anybody. This is from my perspective, but how many times has somebody judged you? You know, maybe, maybe you have tattoos or something, and people look at you and they look at you, you know, weird or crazy, you know. And, and this is something that can apply to everybody's life. So I try to... Um, a lot of my work is political, um, and I just try to start a conversation. I've always liked art that makes me think, and so I'm on my art to make people think. 
um, I made one of Trump and Obama, and it has it's, it's interactive because it has these QR codes on the back of them, and you can scan them, and you can read about their scandals, you know. And so the gist of that's just to show people that when they argue, you know, you're speaking facts, but they don't understand that both of these politicians are, are they have their flaws, you know. So it's like your arguments are kind of unnecessary what you should be realizing is that we need to do better as a people in electing more people who are i guess more for the good of the people does that make sense like i think people with these scandals they have like it seems like to benefit themselves you know what about us (laughs) is this the main thing so i try to create art that makes people talk that brings people together um i don't want my art to be divisive so if somebody looks at my art and they say something, well, this is just, this is mainly for your group. And I'm like, no, you know, let's, let's talk. Let's have this conversation about this so we can, you know, straighten this out. And so you can see that this is not just one group. This is like everybody. So uh, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking when I create my art. Um, if, it, if it is offensive, then it's just, you know, it's just offensive. <laughs> you know, I can't control how people feel about it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really political. It's really, it's still therapeutical to me because, like, in this time, um, art kind of kept me sane. You know, my art, my music, that's the thing that really kept me grounded this, this whole, you know, isolation period of just being away from people and just kind of, it was, it was my normal now. So art became my, my norm. And I just kind of forced that because I needed something. You know, I needed something to bring me back to, you know, where I need to be mentally. And I can feel myself going back to that dark area. And when I feel that, it's like, it's art and it's music that brings me out of that. So that's what I kind of took from middle school, is that when I start falling, when I start spiraling, um, my art is what's going to bring me out of that. So, you know, when I felt it happening, I'm like, I need to start creating. And so I created all these pieces and I'm still creating. So... Uh, To me, that's really... um really powerful that you you know you know kind of practice what you preach that you know you said earlier that you tell kids that I don't just teach you art I teach you about life everything that I teach you in this classroom can be utilized at some point in your life in the future and like your awareness of hey I need to take my own advice now in a time where um where you being judged for what you look like is at a fever pitch in our culture. Um, and hopefully we're starting to have some of those conversations towards some, um, towards, uh, some understanding for the first time, um, from folks like myself who am, you know, male and white and have lived in a world that is, um, kind of built specifically for me. I feel like there's starting to be some of those conversations um, where there's some understanding on um, on the side of uh, white folks who maybe haven't thought about that um, ever, right, in their lives. Um, but how hard that can be for everyone else. So I think that's so fascinating that you were like, okay, art's like the art's also going to help me with this, right? Like this is. Like this is exactly what art's for, is for me to be making work um, to help me process this. 
is that work that you make just for you? I mean, I know you have it on a platform or you, do you sell your work? Like, what does that look like for you as someone who's an artist who educates? So I've always been embarrassed to show my work, to be honest with you. So doing art majeure was something I just did to spur the moment. I had all this artwork building up and I had artwork at my apartment and I had artwork from the long time ago that I created. And on, just on the whim, I found art majeure. I was giving an assignment to my students. And I found this website, and I found this artist on there. And I was like, hey, this is a good platform to put my art on, because it, it automatically copyrights my work as well. And so just on a whim, I just put it out there and, you know, just kind of held my breath. And, you know, it's there, and it's, you know, whoever wants to see it can see it. And I, I check it, you know, sometimes just to see what's happening with it. And there's not much movement on it, but, you know, just the fact that it's there and it's, it's out there. It's, it's kind of a good feeling to me, and it's kind of like a step in growth for me. Um, selling my artwork, I'm selling my first piece now, and I had a, a fellow co-worker. Well, she, she doesn't work with me, but she works in the SES school system. And she approached me about doing a family portrait for her. And I, I have no idea about how to sell art, you know, how to value my art, you know, what, what the price of it should be. And I was really honest with her. I told her, you know, I'm not sure if you want realism or if you want abstract, because my work is really unique, it's different. And I gave her names of two other artists that I know. And um, <clears throat> she tells me, no, I want you to do it. And she was just determined to have me do this picture for her. And it made me feel good, you know, to have somebody like appreciate what I do. And so I created this piece for her, and I'm showing her step by step, you know, what's happening. And it's still in the works, you know, she, we're still like, um, working little things out. It's pretty much 99% complete. There's just a few things I have to add into it. But when it came to pricing it, it's hard for me because I don't want to be greedy. <laughs> you know, there's too much greed in this world already. And so I told her, I got all these things on discount. I'm like, you asked me at the right time because Michael's had this huge sale. <laughs> you know, I was able to go there and get this canvas for like 16 bucks. I had paint. You know, I can't really charge you for that. Um, Hobby Lobby, the fabric's like a dollar. I'm like, so this is, I'm like, I don't, I mean, my work stitching, I'm like, that's pretty much what the, the majority of this cost is going to be. And I was tempted to say, what do you want to pay me? <laughs> you know, but I, I just gave her a price of 150 And she was surprised at that. She goes, that's all? And I'm like, what, you, did you expect more? I'm like, you know, it kind of, and that made me feel good as well that she was willing to pay more for that picture. And I just kind of, um, I told her, well, since we didn't really negotiate the beginning of this, and I don't want to, like, shock you, so I'm just going to go with this price because it seemed like a fair price to go with. You know, all the time, the effort that I put into it um, was really, you know, it makes, this, it makes the price go up a little bit more. And so she was really pleased with the price, and that, that made me happy as an artist. Um, so I'm still kind of working on that aspect of it. I'm still, like, talking to people and getting advice from how to sell our work um, because I've I don't have much experience with that. So um, that's a really cool story. And how how awesome is it that your coworker or your you know your your peer in the school system down there was an advocate for you, even though? And I also love that you advocated for two other artists, right? Like here, like making sure that you want to make sure that that person gets what they want, right? The thing that they want. Yes. And, but that they said, no, 
I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with you. You're my, that's you. I, I want you to do it. I think that's so valuable. Um, and it can, those things can be, like you said, um, they just, they just make you feel so good. You feel so validated. Um, Mag, Maggie, uh, O'Farrell, uh, Maggie Farrell is, um, is, um, a teacher here in Murray County. And she talked a lot about validation during her podcast and how, those kinds of moments can be so validating in a career that doesn't often get validation. Um, we yes. often get seen as extra. We often, you, you already talked about it. We always get seen as, and maybe it was in the pre-interview about like, um, you know, that, uh, you know, arts, this free period, or are y'all just coloring in there and no, right. nothing against coloring. I think it's amazing. I think there's some really great assignments where you do need to color, but the idea that we are, um, just this kind of playtime that's just so teachers can have their planning period and then they can come back to us and, you know, they, they didn't learn anything the whole time there. But so those moments when we can get validation, I think are so valuable. And I think that, I just think it's really cool that you're, that you have someone in your community that really validated you. Um, they validated you by picking you. They validated you by paying the price that you thought was too high, but they didn't even think was high enough. I just think that that's really cool. So there's a podcast, um, there's a book called The Myth of the Starving Artist by a guy named Jeff Goings that might be a, a really interesting place for you to check out some stuff that kind of can help um, in talking about pricing because it is a tough thing to to figure out, um, which is how to do, do pricing. And I love your... Um, thinking about like not wanting to be greedy, but I also want to give you permission to charge as much as you want for a painting. And that's also okay, because I think it's pretty clear from everyone listening, you're going to do really positive things with that money. Yes. Right? And, and, and if someone's willing to pay for that and in it, you know, and so anyway, I think that there's probably a middle ground there and the main thing is, you you know, just finding out a spot where you're comfortable with what you're charging, you know, and, and that's the, that's the big key is that, you know, you don't want to get rid of something and then be like, man, I would, I would pay $150 to have that artwork back. And that's what I always tell people is, you know, um, how much money would you need to where you did not feel bad about that thing no longer being yours, you know, yes. like, um, and if it's, if it's, if there's no such amount, then don't sell that artwork, right? Like it's not, you know, cause then you'll always, you know, love it. And sometimes people are like, I can't bear to, to see my pieces go. And I'm like, well, don't sell them. You know, like that's, that's okay too. Um, so I love that, that you're figuring that out and that you're really seeing it too as an opportunity for you to grow so that you don't become that teacher sooner than you want to be that says, I think I know everything, right? You know, yes. like you are and then when we're when we're asking students to take risk if we're not taking any risk in our life um, they can see that they can tell they can you know and if you don't have those things to tell um, tell them about what you're doing and how you're trying to grow and things that are scary to you and the fear and being nervous is part of becoming a person in the world and it will always be there if you are a lifelong learner um, you talked about um, you know, you talked about like emotions a lot. You've talked about like that for you, how there were times when school um, made you feel depressed. Um, I feel like 
one of the things that we're all trying to figure out is what when we can get back with our students that we serve you know where are they going to be in their own minds about what's been happening in these very very um, complicated times both with COVID um, with uh, you know social justice issues that are um, at the forefront of everyone's minds and you in your school district as a, a specials teacher you did not you weren't mandated to continue to do classes but it sounds like you still went for it and tried to position your kids to still be able to connect to you talk some about um about what that was like for you um, going virtual or going remote so that first week was kind of I think it was just us adjusting because it was spring break. So we did absolutely nothing. It gave me a little bit of time to just kind of collect my thoughts and figure out what would be the best route to go to teach my students. Um, I think we, our spring break got extended for two weeks and we were prepared to go back after two weeks. So I wasn't thinking too much about remote learning then. But um, as soon as I started extending it even more and it kept on getting you know, further and further, um, I started exploring different routes that I could use to teach students. So the first one of the course was Zoom. And Zoom was great. Um, but of course, there was an incident that happened that caused the school board to have a reaction and they eliminated Zoom from, from access to teachers. And we had to do Microsoft Teams. Um, I wasn't big on Teams. I, I never felt comfortable with it, but it seems like I had to get comfortable with that because that's what we're using this year. But um, I wasn't comfortable using Teams, so I started a Facebook group. I saw a lot of other teachers, what they were doing. And they had so many platforms and they were successful. But Facebook was the one I felt the most comfortable with. So I started my own group. And one thing I did with this, with this Facebook group was I I allowed my, I gave my students assignments. Um, they could reach out to me, we could communicate. And it was a form of just, I guess, a sense of normal for them. In a sense, normal for me. I was only able to reach my kindergarten and some of my second grade students, and that was a little bit, you know, that that wasn't, I guess, it put me in a spot where I was like, I'm, I, I wish I could find a way to reach everybody, but I just settled with what, with who was able to get on my site and access it and do the assignments. And for a while, it was really going good, and then it just kind of started falling off. And um, students would turn, they would still do their work, but they would post on a teacher's website, which is fine, you know, as long as they're doing the art. And she was also a teacher who teaches arts as well as, you know, in addition to what she teaches us, you know, her other subjects. So me and her collaborate quite often. Um, but yes, yeah, I ended up starting to Google Classroom with my other students. And my older students, my fourth and my fifth graders, um, and my fifth graders will be going to sixth grade this year. So I feel like we could cover more ground and we could talk about more of these issues that we're facing today. So that's just kind of how I used it. I also used to, I, I interviewed people kind of like we're doing now. I interviewed our teachers to advocate for the arts in the schools. And that was one reason why I wanted to get that platform going was that I could talk to these teachers and they could explain the importance of art and what we do and what our classroom looks like. Because um, I had the attention of not, to, not only the students, but also the, my coworkers and parents. So we could all just, you know, 
gather around and listen to these teachers talk and validate what we do in the classroom. And I just use my platform to just be an advocate. So That's really, really interesting um, and exciting, some of the stuff you did. I know that also there's some heartbreak in there of not being able to get in touch with all of the, the, the students. Um, but what, what do you feel like you learned going into this coming school year where um, it sounds like districts um, are, some districts are having some access to some, some of the uh, money that came down from Congress um, to, to help deal with some of the inequity in relationship to technology. Um, it sounds like this year you will likely need to do some version of remote um, in case there's a, you know, um, a period of time when we're, when we're not in a traditional setting, what did you learn that you know for sure that you'll be able to kind of build on? Um, I love Google, I love Google Classroom and I really want to push that to the district because it was so teacher friendly, but I'm also learning Microsoft Teams. Um, so as far as like visual learning, like when we do the, I guess the Zoom type conferences, um, I've learned to mute microphones. <laughs> you know, I've learned to enable my the share screen for them because they, they love to share stuff and they will draw in the middle of you, you know, doing a presentation. So, you know, those, those are some of the things I've learned early on. But I've also learned how to do assignments to where everyone, like I can still reach my students who are, you know, the different types of learners. I've learned how to kind of strategically adjust my teaching to suit each child. So I can, on Google Classroom, I can type out the assignment for the students who need just who need to go back and look at the directions over and over again. Um, when we're in the visual setting, I can actually do the hands-on version of the assignment to show them exactly what to do step-by-step. Step. And for my audio learners, you know, they still have the, they can listen to me do it as well as see me do it and kind of get an understand. Like I have some students that never even looked at me. They just listened to me go over the steps and they were kind of doing it as I was doing it and not even looking. And they look up every now and then to see if they were on the right track, but they were just comfortable listening and participating at the same time. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really scold anybody or get on anybody. I'm like, if you're, if you're getting it, then that's good. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's all that I want you to to do is to understand what I'm teaching. And so I can, I feel like I can take this technology part into, I feel comfortable with technology. So. That's awesome. Uh, I love that just really simple thing of just like empowering kids to share their screens. That's such a, a, a helpful, that's such a helpful little trick is just, that something that's so simple it's not fancy it's just i'm going to allow them to share their screen and and we know that that works in uh, a traditional setting that kids like oftentimes um, to have their work shown or if you let them draw under the the elmo or whatever the document camera whatever version of that that you have that kids often like that and so of course they would like to share their screen in a remote situation um, you talked about um, with your older kids likening these times that we're dealing with to um, 
artist in the past. Can you talk some about, you know, what artists that you talked about with them and, um, you know, the idea about social commentary, like through their work? So we talked about Pablo Picasso's Guernica, and we talked a little bit about what he, what the subjects he dealt with, the, the horrors of war and things like that. And then we talked about what we're going through today, which was just COVID at that point. So um, the social justice hasn't didn't break out at that time, but it was more COVID related. And we all just kind of had a discussion and I let the kids kind of get their feelings out. And at the end of that, we really studied the picture of Guernica and we pulled out individual images um, I linked them to a YouTube video that actually pulled out all the images and explained them to them. And I told them, I want you guys to create your own image of how you feel about what's happening today. And I want you to, to try to do it in this style. You don't have to, but you know, you can choose any style you want to. So you can research on your own, but this is just one way you can do this. Um, I showed them another picture of the Statue of Liberty who had her, her mouth covered. Um, like a mask with the American flag and the flag was upside down and we talked about that and so some kids chose to go that route but I had one student in particular who really um, she, did a, she did an amazing job and she wanted to use a spiral in her picture and she says I just want to use a spiral because I feel like this is just out of control and I'm like that's really good I'm like so how can we incorporate a spiral into your picture and I just told her to think about it. And we ended the conference. But with Google Classroom, she was able to communicate with me. And she talked to me and she was kind of asking me, she showed me her, her sketch. And I'm like, I really like that, but I think there's a better way that we can use that spiral in your picture. And so I just got on the internet and I just took these pictures of spirals and I just plastered them all over the Google Classroom so she could look at them. And this young lady, she took a simple spiral and she just took these pieces of paper and made her own spiral. And she just put pictures that were, I mean, the way I'm explaining this doesn't even do it justice, but she took pictures of like a house and, you know, herself. And she, the way she explained it was that all of these things just were just kind of getting, you know, I guess engulfed in the spiral. Um, she worried about people not being able to pay for their homes, food running out. Um, people losing their jobs, you know, she worried about her and her family. And it was just all getting kind of just like a tornado, just kind of getting drug into the spiral and just blown away. And I told her this, this is a really powerful piece. And I think I've even put it up on my website, on my Facebook page to um, let everybody else see it. But it was just so, it was so powerful to me to see her think about that on her own, to actually develop that on her own. And that made me feel good. And it made me feel good as far as like, um, I guess the, even though there's this barrier between us, we were still communicating. We were still, like I don't have to be standing over somebody um, to make sure that they're doing the right thing. I can just, you know, we can just talk it out and come out to some kind of, I guess, understanding to where she can go on her own and could still be her own artwork. Because at the end of the day, I just want it to be hers and I want her to be proud of it. So. that's really um that's really exciting to hear i know that um there are there are people there are teachers who 
And I think many of us are fighting, you know, that just kind of maybe initial response of throwing our hands up and being like, I don't, how are we going to do this? How are we going to, and I think that it's going to be really important to think about reaching individual kids, reconnecting with who we can connect with and winning where we can win. Um, because I think it's going to make us really strong in 2021, 2022 school year, because it'll, we'll just all have these incredible skills about flipping classrooms and hopefully we'll have a, you know, we'll be able to be back in school, but we'll also then have this whole extra set of skills about, you know, maybe there's that kid who, um, you know, really wants extra attention and you can be like, you know what, I'll do, uh, you know, I'll do a couple hours of, uh, office hours over the Christmas break if you want to check in with me and you know you have the tools set up already to do it or hey send me the pictures on Google Classroom and you know if you're going to be um, out of town for a few days or whatever it is I just think that um, I think it's going to be important and I love that you already have had some successes because it's probably going to be easier for you moving into this school year knowing all right it's going to be a tough one but I do know you can get there I do know you can collaborate with kids and position them to be able to be express their concerns and their joys and their successes and failures through art. So I love that, um, that you've been able to provide us with some, um, hopeful, um, scenarios and some, you know, really positive, uh, you know, takeaways from using, um, these platforms, even the ones that haven't been your favorite, like, and also that's another thing too, right? We have to find, uh, sometimes we're just going to be saddled with a platform that's not our favorite and, you know, having to go like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to just have to live with that. Um, but speaking of things that, um, that you just feel great about, um, I ask everyone these questions, um, is thinking about, um, you know, gratitude, right? And so, um, asking about a thing person a place and um before i ask you about a person i want to let everybody know any of christopher's friends family um please don't be mad at him if he doesn't say you um he uh, i just he just found out right when we first started talking that this was gonna happen and so just want to be protective of christopher i'm sure he's grateful for everyone as they are probably grateful for you so let's start with a thing that you're grateful for um, the thing I'm grateful for is, I would say my mom's house, <laughs> you know, I, don't know, I know it's like a place and it probably covered two things, but my mom's house, because my apartment um, that I was living in, I was still live there, but it's like when this all first broke out, um, it made me nervous because we were so close together. And so, you know, I told mom, I said, hey, I'm coming to stay there because I just don't trust my apartment, I don't trust my apartment enough. Um, because we're so close and I can just see that we were, I guess we weren't really sure about how contagious this thing was. And I just was able to come stay with her for a little while, you know, and, and help her get groceries and things like that. So I was grateful for her, her place being here and being a place that I could feel safe in. Awesome. How about a person? And again, that'll be my mom and Bob Marley. Um, my mom, because she allowed me to come home, she's really supportive of my artwork. Um, she allowed me to turn her whole house into a studio and basically just spread out and create art. And I also love going to the gym. And she allowed me to kind of start a gym in her living room, which is, you know, cool for the time being because gyms were closed at that point. 
so she didn't mind that. She didn't complain a whole lot. You know, <laughs> um, Bob Marley, because he's the one that's always, his music has always been positive for me. Um, and that's something else in addition to my artwork that in middle school, um, I believe I heard Ziggy Marley first and I was just curious and listened to Bob Marley and it was just this positive message, this beat that just, you know, you, you can't be sad. Like in my opinion, you can't be sad listening to reggae music. It's, it just has this uplifting feel to it. And so uh, whenever I feel, whenever I start like spiraling, mm-hmm. um, I was throwing a Bob Marley CD, you know, it's kind of listening to, you know, Three Little Birds or, you know, that message of don't worry about a thing, everything's going to be all right. You know, that, that it's simple, but it's so, it's so powerful at the same time. And just to hear him, just to hear his voice be so relaxed and just, it kind of puts things back to perspective that everything we're going through right now is temporary. And, you know, in the long run, we're going to be fine. So That's awesome. Um, of many people that I wish we were still here to help shepherd us through some of the, the issues that our kind of global cultures experience, and he's certainly at the top of, I'm sure, not just my list, but many people's list of people that would be awesome. great to, um, and, but we're, I'm also grateful that we still have that music because it is so profound. Um, and so it's, even though it's accessible and you can get right there and, but it is so profound. All right. What about a place? I know you mentioned your mom's house, but like, what's a, what's a place that you're grateful for? Um, another place would probably, I would say the grocery store <laughs> just because, you know, it's, it's just a necessity and it also got me out of the house. It's something that keeps me, it's somewhere I, where I have to go, you know? So amongst all my fears, when I just broke out my, my biggest fear was just going out, period. And so just being able to go out and, you know, throw on a mask and shop and feel some kind of normalcy. And, you know, even though you're not interacting with people, you're kind of in a way there with people, you know, so it doesn't feel so distant. It doesn't feel so, you don't feel so isolated anymore. And when you see other people out there shopping, um, it makes me, it made me feel a little bit better about what I was going through. You know what we're going through and so that gave me a sense of normalcy and it still does to this day like i still look forward to like mom will say hey we ran out of blah 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 and, you know it makes me happy <laughs> you know because now i have to make a run to the grocery store <laughs> and i can get my, my people time you know so right um typically that would be the kind of end but i, I just you had said something and i just it's dropped into the back of my notes here and I would be remiss if I did not ask you about, because I saw it on your, um, in your artwork. Talk to me about rugby and how you got into rugby. My brother, um, so I was in Colorado for a year and I came home and coming back from Colorado was really depressing. That brought me down because I'm in this beautiful state surrounded by mountains. And then I come back to Tennessee and it's just kind of like, where are my mountains? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just kind of readjusting. And my brother at that time had started playing rugby, and he was, you know, he was a bigger guy. Um, I had always been fast, you know. I'd never really gotten to sports a whole lot. Um, I was always picked first when we played backyard football. But um, other than that, I didn't play a whole lot of sports um, in high school. And so he was telling me, he goes, hey, why don't you try, why don't you try for the rugby team? Because we need somebody that's fast. He goes, we have all these people that are big, but we don't have anybody with a lot of speed. And so, you know, I was just on a whim. I went out there, 
I was the smallest guy out there, like really skinny. I think I weighed 135 at that time. And I mean, they were just like, you know, where I think the first thing they were doing is these hidden drills. And I looked at my brother, I'm like, I'm not going to like this because, you know, <laughs> I'm not wearing pads. I'm like, this ain't going to be fun. So um, we did the drills and then we had our, we did our wind spreads at the end. And that's when the coach was able to see, you know, that I had speed. And I like being an underdog. I like the whole thing of people saying, you, you won't be able to do this at all. You know, you're, you're not going to be good at this sport because of your size. And so I was just determined to, you know, be a good rugby player, just like our teacher. <laughs> you know, I was determined right. to be this good rugby player. And so I go out there and I'm practicing every day. I'm, you know, getting beat up. And it took me a while, but I finally got to, so we have an A and a B team. And the B team is kind of like the second string. The A team is where everybody wants to be playing. And so one thing about rugby was that everybody would go out and party the night before. Since I don't do any, like, I'm straight edge, I don't do any, I don't drink, I don't do anything, you know, other than just drink water, you know, and work out. And so the coach noticed that I was inside. I was the only one that was inside the hotel sleeping. And he says, hey, I want you to play the rugby on the A side this time. And, I mean, I just made the most of it. You know, I was out there, I, I was covered the entire field, tackled whoever I could. And I just wanted to, like, really make a good impression. And from then, I was just, I was starting every game. And rugby comes through now in my art because it kind of reminds me of, of, you know, all that I had to overcome, you know, as far as like being small, people saying you can't do it, people saying that, you know, you'll never be on the A side, just stick with the B side players. And just that journey to actually making it to the A side. And it was just a good times, you know, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of good memories of traveling with the team and just a lot of laughs and. You know, it just reminds me of where where I was when I was in my 20s and my 30s. You know, in my 40s, of course, I would love to play again, but it's just not going to happen. So. <laughs> well, cool, man. Thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about, you know, how you see outreach in your classroom, how you see being a practicing artist, your um, kind of interesting and, um, you know, non-traditional journey into the classroom, um, I got a lot from our conversation. I hope our listeners do as well. Um, I just, the most powerful thing you said is, you know, just kind of to end it is to say the day I think I know everything is the day I need to retire. And, um, you know, so thanks so much, Christopher, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Art of Outreach podcast.